Hello and welcome back to In The Clock End, an Arsenal podcast with me, Steve. Joining me today, it's Chippenham's finest, Calvin. Good evening, Calvin. Good evening, Steve. Good evening. How are you? How's things? How's life? It's all good, mate. How are you, buddy? Yeah, ticking along. Back in the, the, the flow with work, which is always a joy. Not not in the slightest, but uh, no, like, I can't complain, mate. We're still top of the league, right? Life is good when yeah. Arsenal top that of the league. That we are, right? That we are. And joining us mm. as well, I was going to say London's finest then, but that's that's not very original. Oh, that's, a, but we, we... that's a big one, though. <laughs> that's a big one. It's the man, the myth, the legend. It's Toby Parks. How are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Floor 11's finest. That's what I hear. Floor 11. Within, within the three flats within this floor, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're in the top 30% of people, I hope so. Um, not <laughs> I've only met one of them. So that's a, it's a wild stab in the dark. I know I'm the bottom of the pile of the people I've met. But anyway, I jest. How are you, mate? Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. All good in the hood. Um, it's What day is today? Thursday? Nearly the weekend. So... We're past, uh, past hump day. Is that what they call Wednesday? Day. It's nice to see that you're also confused about what day it still is. I still kind of feel like I'm in that mid-Christmas, New Year sort of yeah. what the fuck is going on. Fine. It feels it feels so weird because like, especially with like the football being staggered across the week and with mm. the bank holiday, I'm like, is it is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? Anyway, um, we've got a small game, a small manner of a game to talk about um, Tuesday night. <laughs> what, was it Monday night? No, Tuesday, 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 Tuesday night, Tuesday night. Tuesday night. What I mean, Tuesday night, the Arsenal took on Newcastle. A frustrating night at the Emirates that finished nil-nil. Um, I think it's only the second time we've drawn or failed to score since oh, at the Emirates since Burnley last season, I believe, which was wow. also in January. Um, you, you and me were there, Toby. Um, firstly, actually, I meant to ask, how, how did the missus find it? Obviously, took her to a first ever Arsenal game. Wasn't the thrilling four 0 encounter you, you probably anticipated? But no. did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean it's one of those. Um, yeah, like last season, I took a, a really good friend of mine to the Emirates, and what I've been banging on about is the atmosphere all season. There was what we've been talking mm. about for a long time: the connection, the fans, how much the atmosphere's improved, and everything like that. And um, being a City fan, I thought, how hard can it be to trump the Emirates? And it happened to be Brighton at home. When we lost 2-0. Uh, we won in the end, actually, I should say. Mm. Um, so that was really disappointing. I was like, mate, I promise it's been so much better than that. It's the worst choice of game to come to. But even though we drew, there was so much to get behind. And the atmosphere, because of refereeing issues, because of the intensity of the start, because of the what was on the line, was insane. And just the energy that was exerted from the both of us during that game. And we come out, we had to walk home. It usually takes about... 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It just took us ages. We were knackered, just physically exhausted. So mm. uh, that was probably a lot of cheese and wine and various breads that were going around my stomach from Christmas. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely loved it. It was top, top, top tier. Uh, I think it's stadium experience. Just didn't get that goal, unfortunately. Yeah, mm. I think I think that's the, that's the right word, energy. There was a massive energy about the place. And, you know, even at the end, there was like mixed emotions. But, you know, the, the, the crowd were, were thoroughly behind the team. Um, let's get into the game then. So I don't really think there's any point in talking about the 11 because it's sort of a copy and paste, right? Mm. Like every week, same, same old, same old. Um, there's nothing really there to talk about. Um, 
we can get into the lack of depth or the lack of substitutes, you know, in a while. So I'll throw it to you first, Calvin. So you, you were obviously at mm. home uh, watching the games. You probably had the best view. I think, you know, when you were at home on the box, it's sort of the best way to sort of analyse a game. Um, mm. Let's start first first 45 minutes. What did you make of the game? And how were you feeling before the game? Yeah, like I do before most games, I think, these days. Probably similar to you guys. Like, you're going into all the games now with a, a different level of confidence like I said on the last podcast I think as a as a football supporter you always go in with maybe a, a deluded confidence um, or a biased confidence because you want your team to win but you know it, I'm still getting you know used to that familiar feeling of going into games with the current Arsenal iteration that we're at and thinking you know we can win today um, and it's more I never expect it because that you know that will ultimately bring me down for serious disappointment but yeah, maybe I am getting to that that sort of level where, particularly at home, um, you know, like you said, that was the first time we haven't scored at home since Burnley last year. It's actually the first game this season we haven't scored in, would you believe, um, in the Premier League, which is pretty mad. But yeah, I was confident going into it. But at the same time, I think look, Newcastle are a very resilient side. Like they've conceded the least goals in the league. We knew that going in. Maybe naively, I thought it might be a bit more of a ding-dong battle. I thought, you know, this is two teams that are possibly punching above their weight a little bit or just slightly ahead of the curve of where we thought we might be at this this time in our in our own individual projects. And, you know, I thought they might come and try and give it to us. Um, but look, they had a plan and they stuck to it. I'm sure we'll get into that in a lot more detail. But I was pretty confident and my confidence grew, particularly in that first five minutes. Um, you know, we've done what we've been doing all season that's coming out the blocks pretty pretty quickly um had a few few early chances the one that really sticks out for mind uh, early on was the Odegaard volley um, which he didn't quite get on top of uh, which he maybe could have done a little bit better with if I'm being harsh but uh, I mean how, how did you guys feel obviously when you're at the ground that anticipation is probably always a little bit more isn't it um as you allude to the the crowd and the atmosphere definitely get you ramped up a little bit more Toby what how was it for you yeah, I mean, the crowd would bang up for it. And I think a fast, ferocious start was, um, whilst we've done it all season, for some reason, I wasn't quite expecting it in the same way this evening, just because of how good Newcastle have been defensively. Um, I've been, I haven't been watching Newcastle, but, you know, I follow your match of the days, your Twitters and all that sort of jazz, right? Like we all do. And Newcastle have been a pretty, I wouldn't want to say free-flowing, but pretty good attacking team, right? And they've been doing really well. Um, so I was quite surprised that uh, they set up in such a way. And to be fair, I do actually question whether or not they intended to set up that way in the first place or they actually had to resort to plan, plan B so quick just because of how much we were taking them apart through the spaces. Saka was tearing apart Dan Byrne on the, on the, on the left. Um, or, and uh, even Trippier was getting um, uh, his, his, his day's work from Martinelli in the first 10 minutes. And like you say, the Odegaard chances is what brought us up. But that kind of energy, I do wonder if... They just rode out the first 15 minutes or actually they completely changed plan. But they decided, right, we need to tuck in. We need to um, uh, stop what's coming through the middle, make sure the flanks are closed down quickly. And, um, you know, I think it there was a the first half was, was kind of split into two for me. It was that blistering first 15 where I thought we played really well and mm. very similar to the Brighton game in a sense. You know, I think just a few ricochets here or there or it going to an Enketia instead of, Dan Byrne, I think, you know, things could have been very different. Um, but we did, it wasn't to be. 
uh, felt really good about it, to be honest. I thought we were really taking two of them. I didn't think Newcastle would really um, would come back in the way they did. And I thought, whilst it frustrated us all in the stadium, there was a real nervousness in the stadium, I think, after that time when yellow cards started being shown. Um, yeah. We sort of started to allow them to take their time when it came to, uh, I don't want to say time-wasting, and this isn't... Um, anything i really we'll get into this i'm sure but i I actually think newcastle were um super clever in the way they approach going to what is the best team the hardest stadium to go to in the league at the moment and um i don't think we quite found the right way referee didn't help us too much um which i'm sure we'll get on to but uh yeah i think it did take the wind out of our sails a bit it did also bring up the atmosphere in the stadium a few notches so it was um certainly very interesting yeah, you make a really good point there, actually, about Newcastle's game plan, which which I hadn't really thought about before. Maybe that that lightning start from us did completely change, you know, the way they set up because you know early on it was it was such a great start. First 10, 15 minutes, we were all over them, and you really fancied us to score a goal. You know, in that period, mm-hmm. Saka was just you know just destroying them on that right hand side. Um, but then you know it did sort of fall off a bit. Newcastle got back into the game. Um, interestingly, and I'm sure we'll get into this because the referee was fucking abysmal. I'm going to say it, he was fucking awful. And I, you know, I really, not that it matters, but I really hope that his his peers, you know, and his, his you know people above him are kind of pulling him in over that performance because it was just fucking not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to blame the referee on the on the on the draw because I don't think it's. It's necessarily fair because I feel like you've got to sort of look at yourselves a bit and go, well, what could we have done? Um, I felt like he was quite trigger happy in the early stages booking Newcastle players. And mm. to me, it almost felt like he was trying to level it up because he gave them two. I feel like they had their two cards quite early on and it was like, oh, wow. And that's when he lost the game. You know, in that first half, he was letting some stuff go and then very similar stuff was happening at the end and he wasn't letting it go. It was just, he just com- completely lost control of the game. And I thought mm-hmm. it was a really, really bad performance from him. Um, and then you add to the time wasting. Uh, I mean, you know, there, there was moments where like in the second half when like three of their players were down on the floor. It was mm-hmm. like, what is going on? Like it was just, mm-hmm. it, it was almost like a circus. It was, it was ridiculous. Um yeah. He, he just sorry to go across there, Steve. Just on the ref piece, he, weirdly, he, even I thought I just had a quick look there now. And the first booking was on 27 minutes. Oh, okay, Felt so it wasn't that early yeah, then. Yeah, it did. It was a short period of time where he lost control of that game. Um, and to be fair, I think you're right though. Before, even before the bookings, he didn't have great control. It was such a stop start game throughout. We've all seen that mental stat. Which came out afterwards of how long the ball was actually in play. Did you guys see that by any yeah, chance? Yeah. How long the ball was in play for? 41, was it? it was a crazy. 43, and depending on how you measure it, some do 51, and it's, but it's, you know, both are shocking. <laughs> yeah, not great. But there were five yellow cards from the 27th minute until, you know, within 20 minutes, basically. Yeah. And I think you're right. There was a couple where it felt like it was evening out. Um, but, you know, they were soft. And it goes back to, to, what I said to you, Steve, on the last pod, and it's if we, you know, going into this game, one of our biggest worries was Saka and who was it? Saliba picking up a yellow, right? Mm. Before the North London derby, because obviously they've changed the rules where you can't obviously carry these into FA Cup games anymore. That just doesn't apply this season moving forward. But um, it just goes to show, I think, if we're just going to start handing out yellow cards for, let's be honest, some ridiculous stuff. And dare I even say, 
you know, shirt pulling was two of the yellow cards for one for each side. Yeah. Which were nowhere near as bad as the one we did eventually see later on in the game, which just goes completely unpunished altogether. Mm. It, it did really affect, like, you saw Odegaard, he picked up a book, and I believe. Yeah. And he was so hesitant to make tackles, and it really affected the game when you've got so many players. And, you know, you, don't, you, you can't blame them because they're wary of this, this referee. Like this referee was gunning to give out a red card. I'm surprised he didn't send half the, half the players off. So it just completely it destroys the game. It ruins what is you know this the the product of the Premier League. You know, like so it was, there was a there was a great tweet and it said you know sixty thousand people paying you know a lot of money to come watch this. You know, big spectacle, and that is what we have to put up with. It just it just was really mm. poor. Um, call me biased. I just think. That 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 was one of the worst, uh, and, and and you know I'm sure we'll get onto the penalties in a bit. You know, and VAR as well. That whoever was was on that, I thought was particularly dif- dif- uh, disappointing. I've been trying to get my head around why the refereeing uh, performance was so egregious because incident for incident, there aren't over there isn't a dramatic amount of like um, uh, game changing decisions that he made. I, I personally felt that Joe Linton could have been booked about three times before he eventually was. Um, I think Enketi was booked probably a bit too early. But again, none of these are really like game changing decisions. And I was trying to put my finger on why I think we felt as a crowd so aggrieved, but also I was trying to think about how we could approach this in the future. Because quite frankly, I think what's happened is 15 minutes into the game, I don't know if you remember it, but it just went by in a flash. Uh, we were continuously on the ball. We had about 85% possession, percent possession. We were in free flow. And that's when we we're at our most dangerous, right? So what did Newcastle try and do? They get on the floor. They get a bit injured. They make a short tackle here or there. They try and rile us up. But I think the atmosphere of the crowd, the heat of the moment, we really got sucked into that. Anytime they would uh, tackle us, maybe even get a yellow, maybe not get a yellow, we'd surround the ref. It takes time. We reset. They start again. They get to breathe. You know, these are players that are out of their depth, quite frankly. At least it seemed like that in the first 15 minutes. And this is going to happen over and over again at Arsenal. And the best way to react to it is just not get emotional to it. Put the ball down, keep playing. If they're getting a, like, a booking or whatever, like just don't surround the ref. Let's just keep going, unless it's obviously completely egregious. Mm. But like we're absolutely lethal when we are continuously coming back at them. And every time it stops, every time the ball's out of play, every time they go down... We just can't react to it. And I think we've just got to keep trying our best. I think where the referee let that down is then they were on the floor having cramp when the ball was in play and he would stop the game, which isn't the rule. He should be waiting until there's a head injury. Mm. And he would be uh, allowing this to happen. He'd be bringing out yellow cards inappropriately, which means everyone surrounds. And he just totally lost control in that way. And I think that played into the hands of Burnley Stoke-esque old English football, have it up and football. Um, mm. versus the free-flowing football we want to see in the Premier League. And look, like again, nothing wrong with a team coming to do that against what is the top team. Uh, because, quite frankly, I'd have liked Arsene Wenger or Arteta to be a bit more um, uh, pragmatic in their approach, right? Back in the day when we actually got spanked in several occasions or mm. have too much of an ego to go into a game where we... And it's one of us the FA Cup doing something like that, right? Not in so much a way, but being pragmatic about what you've got on the pitch and the opponent you're facing. And... I just don't. I just think that we need to be a bit smarter because this is going to happen more and more often, and it's clearly worked against us. Admittedly, Newcastle defensively were excellent, obviously, but they See, were just very smart. They slowed, they slowed the team down, and I think we can we could have, we could have reacted better. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. I think we need to be a lot more wiser to it, but also there's only so much you can do. 
I feel in those situations because don't react to certain aspects of it, right? But also the officiating level has to be better. You can't, oh, yeah. no matter how we react, we can't stop the referee from calling every fucking foul or booking every player for whatever it might be. Um, so that that aspect is... Newcastle had a game plan, it feels like. Whether they changed that after that first 10, 10 15 minutes, who knows? Mm. Um, they definitely looked at the the, the Saka on Dan Burns situation pretty sharpish because he did roast him very early yes. on. And very nearly scored. You didn't see it too much after that, to be honest with you. Um, and they were very quick around Saka. I don't know whether you guys picked that up, but most of the time when Saka collected the ball to feet, there were two, three United, uh, United well, yeah, still counts, uh, Newcastle players around him. Yeah. Um, but for, to the officiating and just those sort of tactics, when you become a top side, we've got to get used to it. You know, people, when they start punching the ball, they go, they go to these bigger games and they're in, in the game. Slide tactics, they, they, they come to the fore. It's something even we've embraced a little bit more, I think, over the last 18 months. One of the things that used to frustrate the crap out of me was tactical fouling. We just never did it. We do it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when we are backs up against the wall, we time waste too, all right? It's just it's just a part part and part of the game which everybody does, but it's just really fucking annoying when you're on the receiving end of it. It is, and I, I think like I, I don't know what the answer is, but I do think although the World Cup um, uh, communicated it really bad, no one was expecting it. It was such a good idea to go right. Well, time waste all you want, mate. It's going to go on at the end. It will. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, fine. But put fifteen on. Don't mind. You you stay down as much as you want, mate. And I think it has to come in because ultimately, if you actually I don't know if you watched the World Cup, it sounded like you didn't watch too much of it, Steve. I'm not sure whether you care. Like, what, what are you trying what, to say? No, no, no. You just weren't that interested. I mean, it's fine. But like, as, the it, as, as it progressed, the, the actually went down because people weren't doing it as much. Mm. Um, the other, the only other option is to do what they do in rugby, isn't it? Um, and that's just when the ball's out of play or if the, the play is stopped, you stop the clock. I mean, look, we could be there. If Newcastle carry on like that, we'll be there all fucking afternoon or all evening. Yeah. Um, but that, that's another option, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the situation was exacerbated by the fact that the referee was having a shocker and they were time-wasting. And I think, like, listen, time-wasting isn't, isn't new. You know, as a, as a team, when you're defending, you, you break the play up, you're trying to kill up momentum. And they kept doing that. I remember there was one moment in the second half when Eddie it was really late on that we I think it was Eddie trying to take a throw. And their their player on the sideline was blocking the player. Mm. Like it was it was, you know, rule it was sort of you know basic shit housery. Um looking at the first half as a whole, um, you know, I still felt pretty confident. I felt like the goal, you know, would eventually come. But, you know, as it went on, we we didn't really create a lot of chances. Um, mm. And to be honest, you know, we, we may as well sort of jump into that second half um, because we didn't really create a lot all game. So, you mm. know, if we, yeah, I feel like we, we, we can get onto the VAR decisions in a second. Um, but, you know, for, from, you know, looking at what we could have done done better, I don't think we created enough. I thought Martinelli, you know, had, had, it was pretty invisible in that second half. Whether you can argue he was sort of marked out of the game, he had very little input. And I was I was really quite surprised that, that Vieira didn't come on or we, we didn't change that. Mm. Um, Eddie, you know, I thought Eddie had a good game, to be honest, actually. I thought he did so, a lot of running, was good on the ball, was, get, was turning, was running at players. I was actually really impressed with him. Um, but we just didn't really create many chances. And, you know, th- this is where... 
you know, coming back to what we said before, you look at you look at the bench, don't you? And then you go right because it's not always going to go for you. You you might have your best eleven out, but for whatever reason, it's not quite it's not quite clicking. You know, we're only human. Mm. You look towards your bench, you go, who can we bring on? And there just and there just wasn't anyone. And that and and I think James actually messaged me and said, yeah, this this was maybe Arteta sort of saying, you know, sending a message to the board mm. and to Eddie to say, listen. I need, and uh, yeah, we need reinforcements. Yeah, we we need, you know, we need uh, options. You know, when you've got the likes of, you know, you're not going to bring Rob Holding on, on are you, when you when you're chasing the goal. No, have you seen that stat? It's really interesting you say that because it's just sort of around that narrative where making a message, like sending a message to the board. Arteta's only ever um, made one sub three times in his Arsenal career. They've all been in January. They've all been draws. And. It's just curious no that it's all around the same month and it's around, you know, <laughs> the sort of tran- the, the transfer market time. That's a great... I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's mad, isn't it? It's. Um, I don't know, like, if... They're sending a message and they're sending a message, right? And, you know, with three points on the line when you're top of the league and a chance to go 10 points clear, you're not going to not make a sub for the hell of it because there's three points on the line. But mm. when you're thinking about taking off, let's say, Xhaka for Vieira or whatever it may be, which seemed like the most logical option given how much space Shaker on, which I'll go on to accept. So I've got an interesting thought on that. But, um, you know, you kind of go, right, well, what's the the positives being? Is it Vieira? Vieira could probably make more of the space that Jack is getting. The con is, <laughs> they're a six foot five, built like a brick shithouse team across the whole thing. You know, we've still got to yeah. defend these corners and let's not lose the game. So we don't want to stick or twist and either win 1 0 or lose 1 0. We don't want to lose a game. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's off the bench is I think where we we, we just dropped points today. Calvin, yeah, I mean <sighs> the second half. I mean it was a case of it wasn't there weren't many clear cut chances, and that was throughout. I mean other than the early ones we've already spoken around, but the only time we came very very close was from two set pieces. Um, there was the the header in the first half from Gabriel, and there was a another header I think from. Martinelli actually from a corner which also came very very close both just went past the the far post in the end with with the goalkeeper just yeah he wouldn't have got anywhere near them at all but other than that yeah it was it was just really really tough and I agree Toby it's just like you don't want to you know it's that stick or twist situation it's it's a double-edged sword isn't it you don't want to you want to win but you don't want to lose at the same time um and I think you know if you go and throw the kitchen sink at it and lose one nil which was a possibility then it's a you're coming out with a very different mood whereas at least coming out nil nil we just feel a bit frustrated right and i think that's that's the not not a bad place to be as well mm. i think you know if we're coming off you know again let's you know if we look at ourselves like we, we do a lot we're playing great football we're way ahead of where fucking anybody thought we'd be including ourselves right let's be completely honest about it nobody in a million years would have put his seven points or you know going into that game seven points clear a city no, no chance. But also, on the flip side of it, I'm guaranteeing you Newcastle when they looked at the fixture list. Thought, there's no way we'll be third coming in. Were they? Were they even? Were they second? No, they were third coming in. They were second they, for a bit. Um, yeah. I'm not sure they were last night or Tuesday. I should say. They could have gone second, yeah. But again, they they wouldn't have envisaged that either. Um, so I think you look. We've got to look at it from a, a you know a game state frame of mind. We've also just got to be appreciative that Newcastle were incredibly well-organized throughout that game yesterday. I think even 
and Steve, you know this, when I go to matches, I usually sit in the upper tier because I like to get that kind of overall view of the pitch so you can see space. It can frustrate the fuck out of you at times when you're watching a game and you can see stuff that you can't see at pitch level. But watching it on the TV, every single time we picked up the ball, they were so compact and so organized, like looking for space anywhere on the pitch was non-existent mm. to be perfectly honest with you and that's one of my you know one of the biggest frustrations i have when watching you know any kind of game particularly when it's when it's arsenal is just not moving the ball quick enough from back to front something mm. we did in the last game as well you know we're playing it around at the back a little bit too much a little bit too much side you know too much sideways football but when we were doing it i was as you do you, you you're looking for oh where is that pass forward i couldn't even see it Watching it from the sidelines on the TV, it was hard to see where those spaces were. And it's so frustrating, but you you can't help but go, fuck you, Newcastle. It's really annoying, but (laughs) it's a fair play. Fuck you, Newcastle. This is where where Zinchenko comes in, right? I mean, let's... We've we've been a bit doom and gloom, but not doom and gloom, but, you know, find our frustrations. But how good was Zinchenko? I mean, I forget until, like, live and up close just how quickly he can change direction when the ball is coming to him and how quickly he can cut through like the space and how quickly he can get from ball for the, the defence to attack. And what I found really interesting, and I think this goes back to just how well Newcastle was set up, right? How many times did you find Granite Xhaka in tons of space in the final third? And how many times did you find Martin Odegaard in tons of space in the final third, right? So clearly Newcastle have gone, right, what can we do here? Let's triple up on Bakayo Saka. Let's flood Martin Erdegaard. Kieran Trippier does a hell of a job, which I think they trusted him with on Martinelli. And I still think he got round him a few times, but he had a frustrating evening, but even doubled up on him. And they've basically gone, we're going to block you up top. We're going to high press. Zinchenko is probably the only one that can cut through, but I also think Gabriel had some brilliant passes too. But if you're going to find anyone, you're going to find Granit Xhaka and you've got to beat us with Granit Xhaka as your driving forward midfielder and he's great at many things and he's scored a lot of goals this season and played really well but they've basically hedged their bets and gone if you're going to beat us you're going to beat us with Granite Xhaka as your attacking midfielder and um, I do think there was a few times where you just think if Yera was there or I don't know a new T element or a Mila Kazankovic whatever bloody his name is someone out of the transfer window we could get with slightly more attacking uh, threat could have unlocked that defence in a slightly better way Martin Odegaard barely got a sniff, you know, other than it was his own work, which was great um, in the attacking third. But Xhaka seemed to have space after space, particularly in the second half, and Zinchenko was cutting the lines unbelievably well. Mm. And um, not any slight on Xhaka, but if you're looking to upgrade the score, perhaps that's where you think. And we go back to that Vieira point. Do we bring him on and help him unlock it? And that widens the space a bit and allows Martin Odegaard and Vieira to push up? Or or do we, uh, with, with at the risk of, you know... <laughs> Having someone who's three foot four defending a corner instead of Xhaka, who's you know our leader, really. So three foot four and built like me. Yeah, Yeah. Um, it it goes back to what we said about rolling the dice, doesn't it? It's a case of and again, damned if you you don't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's we've already said you know coming out of it nil nil is better than coming out with a one nil loss. And I think the one thing about Vieira, which we would all happily say, and it's a bit lightweight. And it was a physical game. Um, it could have worked. We'll never know. <laughs> I guess that's what we're, we're getting at. But it, it could have also gone the other way because one thing that we do like about Granit Xhaka is he's, he's got a great engine on him and he'll do the dirty side of it more than Fabio Vieira would. That's that's for sure. Um, but again, if Vieira can 
you know, bring that into his game a little bit more. Maybe he could be a little bit more useful in that final third when if he's going to be the free man. Speaking of engines, one thing that I felt was quite clear to see is we did look tired. Um, bear in mind, we just played Saturday night and then you play on Tuesday. Um, we looked quite, we looked a little bit fatigued. Mm. Um, so I feel like, you know, it, it didn't, regardless of whether Arteta didn't want to change things and he wanted to keep it tight or he was maybe he was sending a message, who knows. But regardless of that, you know, it, we were screaming out for fresh legs. Um, the thing about Vieira is it's interesting because I think we all forget, like, he, you know, he was a £35 million man. Um, which in today's in today's market, it's such a, it's such an impenetrable market. Like you know, you, you can get Odegaard for thirty odd million, who's you know one of the best in the Premier League. But then you know you, you, you've got people like Nicolas Pepe. You you, you bring him in for seventy two million. So it's hard to sort of kind of gauge um, worth these days. But I do feel like maybe we should roll the dice in a little bit more and and maybe treat him more of a treat him with a bit more respect than we do. Cause I do feel like we treat him as more of like a, um, a squad player, which you could argue he is, but when you, when you spend that sort of money on him, you want to return surely. There's horses yeah, for horses there, right? You know, I mean, there was a time Martin Odegaard last season couldn't even get in the team because it was just a system we were playing. Other people have been playing well. Um, you know, I think just, just, I wouldn't say on that really. I think I do think there's time and place. I think if it was May and it was coming the end of the season, we had to get a win. Might have brought him on, taken Ben White off, and not taken putting Tommy Asu on, but put on Vieira and just had that extra man going forward. But I don't know. I I do think at this stage of the season, eight points clear, may I add, mm. as it stands. I think that's a fair thing to do, and I think we've we've learned from last season. I think we've learned to um, basically just be like. Let's make sure we don't lose this game whilst they're attacking. I, I do think overall it was a really good performance. There were some frustrations, but there's a reason why. I, I, you know, I think our defensive performance was as good as our attacking, which we've not even talked about, but um, just couldn't put it away. I, I do think it was very similar to Brighton. Just a few ricochets here or there. Mm. It's a little different. Did you want to come with something there, Kevin? Yeah, sorry, I just got cut over there. No, I, I think I did. And then my, my trail of thought has gone... Pretty much out the window, Steve. It's gone in the team. Are you thinking about Friday? You last Friday tomorrow. Nice Probably. early finish. Nah, not really. I mean, I won't say what, what I'm really going to be doing tomorrow, but yeah, you can uh, read between the lines on that one. <laughs> no idea. Um, <laughs> interesting, interesting point actually about uh, you make Toby about, about the defending because I, I thought we were pretty solid and. You know, we, we talk about not creating many chances ourselves. If I'm honest, I can't really remember any Newcastle chances. There was a few times, you know, in the second half when they sort of, you know, from the flanks, hit a quick ball across the box, you know, and being, because I was in the North Bank on row six, which is great, you know, when you're attacking the North Bank, but your vision is so, and kind of your spatial awareness is, is mm. it's actually, I'd say it's a bit shit. You know, this is where it's much better being in the upper tiers or, you know, watching the box because you've got such a better and clear view of what's going on. You know, when that ball's pinging around in the clock end, you're literally like, I have no idea. You're just sort of waiting for that roar from the other end to, to sort of, you know, uh, to, to let you know what's happened. Um, but we, we were really solid. And, you know, Newcastle, you know, didn't really create much at all. You know, it, it was one of those games where, you know, I feel like it, it was really riding on an early goal. Um, and it, it just completely changed the landscape because if Newcastle have got to come out and score, 
that's mm. when I feel like, you know, we're at our best and we have that freedom and that, that ability to sort of hit teams on the break with our pace. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Or have you got any players like, you mentioned Zinchenko, any of the players that stood out to either of you guys? Yeah, I think, honestly, the defenders were absolutely phenomenal. I think Saliba did really well, actually. And I think he is improving, but he still looked a little bit nervous. Like maybe it was just from the crowd. I sensed a bit of nerves. I don't know how it came across on TV, Calvin, but I think the, like Zinchenko, oh my God, what a player. I mean, the way, like we all talk about him not being able to perhaps defend one-on-one, but the amount of times he brings us up the pitch, like how often do you really see him one-on-one? And plus you've got people like Gabriel, who I thought was man of the match. I'm not sure we'll get onto that. I thought he was incredible. Um, in every sense, I don't think he let anything get past him. Again, his passing was great as well, which we don't usually credit him for. I thought Ben White was great, looked very tired, if not a little bit injured from the 60th minute. I wonder he, if looked, na- he looked knackered. He looked knackered. And I thought Tommy Asu came around and had a brilliant game, which is something we've been waiting for. Um, mm. So all in all, and I thought Thomas Party, I mean, unbelievable. The Romero's didn't even have to we, Basically everybody. We won nine nil. Like we had Ramsdale was making the saves. Eddie was scoring the goals. He didn't have to be like party. Camaros did not have a sniff. Everything in front of that, I think, had a difficult day. But I think that's more because of Newcastle than us. I do love the positive vibes. Um, So good, you know, good on you for that. And you you know, you are right. I feel like listen, if, if Chelsea win tonight. Fingers crossed, you know, touching wood. Oh, as says, touching wood. Come on, Aubameyang. Fuck yeah. yes. Aubameyang, Patrick. Even if, you know, if, if City drop anything tonight, a draw or defeat, it's been a great yeah. week. been a fucking yeah. great week. Um, well, let's get on to the VAR and then we'll oh, move just, on. Well, very quickly, oh, just going back to uh, what Toby said about Saliba. One of the, look, he's been phenomenal this season. But much like you just said, that nervousness, and since he's come back from the World Cup, he had not been the same player he was pre. Uh, that's for sure. And I think there's, he wouldn't be the only one. There's a few players that have come back who didn't play consistently throughout the World Cup, and that's matches, who aren't up to shape. Right? He, he doesn't look as light-footed as he did for a big guy. That's quite an achievement in, in the first place. But, you know, Calvin Phillips, publicly shamed by Pep Guardiola for being a couple of pounds overweight. Um, Christmas season, mate. Too many mince pies. It wasn't, it wasn't even quite Christmas at that stage, was it? Do you know what I mean? So God knows what shape he's in now. The poor fucker must be rolling around the training ground. But it's there's just a few instances which I've noticed with Saliba where it's not necessarily his fitness or his sharpness. It's just the decision-making seems to be a little bit... Um, it's not as quick as it was. There's a, a few occasions now in, in all three games since we've come back where... One of the most frustrating things you'll ever hear as a defender is don't let the ball bounce. And he's been doing this a couple of times lately. And there was a one period even in, I think it was, must have been the first half of the Newcastle game. He let it bounce, not once, but twice. Really frustrating. You're like, just, just go and take the ball. Just, he, didn't, he had plenty of time to do it as well, but that hesitancy in his decision-making is probably what's being his downfall um, at the moment. And it happened in the, the first game back where he gave away the penalty. You know, there was a hesitancy to to go and meet the ball or go and get on the front foot, which ultimately then led to him having to give away the penalty. Unfortunately, whether you thought it was soft or not, it's still a penalty, right? But look, I, I think he'll come back. I'm not massively worried about it, obviously, but I think, yeah, from if we're looking at overall performances, he has been a little bit of a worry for me. And Gabriel, as you again pointed out, was superb. He has been superb since the turn of the World Cup. Um 
and he's obviously kept himself in good shape during the break. And um, one final thing before you go on to VAR, which is going to be a hell of a discussion, um, was, yeah, the energy of Tomiyasu was incredibly noticeable when he came off the bench, I thought, the other night. A few times he's come off or, you know, come on, on to play and he hasn't quite looked at it for obvious reasons. As we know, he's had a bit of a stop-start 12 months. I think that's probably the easiest way to put it. Um, frustrating World Cup. Um, but yeah, it, it was his... There was one... One incident where he showed such a great turn of pace uh, when he was chasing back, um, which was I, th- I found really eye-opening. And it was good to see because, look, Tommy Arcee, when he's fully fit, we saw what that guy's capable of. And if we can add that to our squad, that's fantastic. Um, fantastic bow to add to the armory. Yeah. I think we all forget just how important Tommy Arcee was last season. And it would be mm. great to to see him return to that sort of form where it leaves sort of Ben White and, you know, that back four in terms of like, you know, who, who gets the prime position. But, you know, com- competition is what you want, right? So exactly what we can ask for. Um, let's get on to VAR. Um, so go. like I said before, you know, being, I was right behind the handball and to me it looked, it's one of those, isn't it? Like, I'm still not entirely sure if, if if like if that if that goes against us, I feel like we'd feel a little bit aggrieved. I'd feel livid, mate. I don't think it's a penalty at all. Yeah, are we all in agreement on that one? I'm, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I say it's a, yeah. Okay, we can we can part that. Here at the then. moment, and me being at the time probably about seventy meters away because I was in the back end <laughs> of the upper tier, <laughs> a little bit drunk. <laughs> Those red straws. How is that not bad? But you know, like I, look, I. Where else is he going to put his arm? It's half a yard away. Like you're not belted at him. I just, yeah. I, I'd have still taken it though. Oh, <laughs> we would all take it. We would all it take is, it. But yeah, yeah, we can we can part of that one then. So that's that's yeah, fair. So. If but it's the, given though, I I don't know if it would be overturned. But it wasn't even what it wasn't even looked at. Um, which was which it would, where, it would have been. It would it have was, been. Well, it would have been. It would have been, 100% would have been. Nothing came up on the screens in the Emirates. Did it not? It was, it was no, nothing. it didn't. But I think it was, everything's being checked all the time, though. Like, True. I don't think, you know, like, mm. there's no way they would have... Well, I don't know, actually. They are terrible. But yeah. I, I, <laughs> they are I, terrible. Like, surely they would have... I mean, they wouldn't have not seen it. I like... I just think they would have gone with the on-field decision. Yeah. Which I think yeah. in this case is fair. So, let, let's go on to the, the, the Gabriel incident. Um... I think I can't really remember this in live action just because it happened so fast. Yeah. And it was a bit of a bundle. So Calvin, you've probably had the best sort of, you know, eye on that. And mm. um also I'd like to ask, like, you know, post game, was there much made of that? Or was it sort of brushed into the carpet? I'll be completely honest with you, when it comes to punditry, I don't listen to any of it. Half time, full time. Okay. I'm just not interested in a listening bit, to it. A little bit like Let's... my interest in the World Cup. Yeah. But worse, I would say, because let's be honest, one of the most frustrating things as an Arsenal fan is when it comes to media attention is it's fucking bollocks. Uh, yeah, it's very, very rare that you'll get an opinion that you'll agree with. You just get more pissed off. When you're frustrated after a result like that, the last thing I want to listen to is Gary fucking Neville. Talk mm. absolute shite, to be honest. He did have an interesting take on this, though. And uh, I've just because I've seen it in the, you know, like the Twitter and all that sort of stuff. But um, he, he, he thought it was a stonewall penalty. He said he was oh, baffled. The- he was absolutely, and I completely agree with him. He was like, Arteta was is basically a, a, running a bit of a emotional whirlwind, thinking the pan ball was a penalty and all that sort of stuff, calling it scandalous, which I think was quite good. Um, but was completely right <clears throat> when it comes to the. I mm. mean, particularly when you look at the other fouls across the pitch, right? What like Eddie said earlier, yeah. For, and he's got his the way Gary Neville put it. 
the the, the logo is, is behind his neck. He's literally grabbed his shirt. It's behind his neck. So it's like, how obvious do you want to make it? And um, I think it, that's poor, like really poor. Um, it was so obvious. And like you said, it was... And the weird one is, and Steve, you asked me how it came up, you know, how did I view this on TV? Now, weirdly, I've got into the mindset, and I don't know if you guys do this, but because of VAR, and I'm getting used to watching football with VAR now at this point, yeah. because there's nothing worse than, particularly from, you know, dead ball situations like that, where there's potential for offside. I actually focus probably more on what where our players are when the ball's being kicked than the player who's actually kicking the ball itself. So when I was actually doing it, I remember even having the thought in my head when watching it going, right, let's just see where we are. If we do score, I want to fucking see if we're onside or not so I can go ape shit because there's nothing worse than going ape shit and having to rein it back in. Um, it's a horrible feeling. So when I was looking at it, Gabriel was, I've seen it clear as day. I think I texted you, Steve, afterwards and it might have been James. I, just, I haven't seen a clearer penalty than that for quite some time. Um, the shirt pull wasn't just slight. It was, like you said, it was twisted. It was round his neck at one point. Mm. It was such an obvious shirt pull. And we've seen things given for a lot less against us. Um, and, and I saw it firsthand. Steve, you want to come in there, sorry? Eddie had a similar one, didn't he? Just he did, across. round his neck. Like when you mentioned the neck, yeah. Was it the same player who gave away that? Don't know. Don't know. But I mean, this this just goes back to the quality of refereeing throughout the game, what they're allowed mm. to do, what they can get away with. and what's given, what's not given, and it just ends up being a bit of a mismatch and um, do you, poor. Do you guys think, sorry, just to, to go on the referees a little bit, and I know this has come up in conversation for fucking years, but do you think it would help, right? Because look, one thing I can always appreciate is referees are human beings, right? You're going to make mistakes. No one's ever going to be perfect. Even with VAR, it's still open to human interpretation, right? Which You're always going to be open to mistakes no matter what. Do you think... It, they would be helped in their cause to actually come out like players do. You know, you have the discussion afterwards and say, oh, fucking, how do you feel about that missed opportunity, whoever it was, or, you know, that fucked. 100%. You know, players are forced to give their opinions on incidents which have just happened when they're in very emotional states immediately after a game. Why can't a referee come on afterwards yeah. And just explain, right, whether it's right or wrong, you know, it's done, right? You're not going to change it. That's something we know. But just give your opinion on what made you make that decision. At least give us that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would, would help a little bit. Will it help the quality of the refereeing? Probably fucking not. You know, the my silence opinion. and the lack of communication is just... I think that that just makes it amplifies the situation and the it's infuriates you because you're like what, what were they looking at where where, where was their genius. mind just let like, me put this out there imagine any career in the world right any career where you can just go and do your job make any fucking decision you want throughout that fucking period which is televised across the world and then just make a load of mistakes and just fuck off like nothing happened <laughs> imagine it <laughs> It's, I mean, that would be lovely. But I think, like, I think what happens, they, they do have their referee meetings and people do get, like, like observed and, you know, that sort of stuff. It's just, I, th I think that, for me, if it was if it was only to add an interview after the game, I think just add add flames to the, to the fire or whatever the bloody phrase is. But, like, I really think it would because I don't know if you saw Dermot O'Leary do a um, Sky thing where he basically gave half an answer for one, agreed it was a penalty, but then also agreed he didn't give it. It was really mm. strange. And basically... It's on Twitter uproar. 
he looks stupid. Everyone like they, no one comes you out. Know what, you know what? You know that is though. Sorry, Toby. That's just yeah, because yeah, he is still a ref in his like. Yeah. Trust me. You, if you've listened to these pods in the past, you already know where I'm about to go with this. Yeah, yeah. My old man was a fucking referee, mate, and I can swear to God, they are like this little fucking little clan of people in black just run around supporting everything that they do. Even when you're watching Arsenal games with my dad and I can see a decision which is wrong, he will still side with the referee because he was a fucking referee. And it is infuriating. That's hilarious. Um, so it's just like getting someone on TV. Yeah, great idea. If you want to be fucking honest about the yeah, decision, yeah. What, you're made, great. But you're not. Exactly. I, but I think the best way of doing it, rugby do it every time. Microphone yeah. and VAR, microphone the ref. Like, why are you making that decision? Why have you not made that decision? Well, fine, just keep talking. Like, I don't know what happened between the VAR room and that one for that penalty. Maybe he's gone. Maybe there's a flurry of people. He's seen Gabbro down. Did not see a foul because there were so many people. Maybe. Easily could have happened. It was a crowd of people. Mm. VAR might have gone, hello, mate. Did you see that? And he would have gone, uh, yeah. Didn't think there was enough for a penalty or something like that. Or he would have gone... No, what 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 did I miss? And VAR could be going, you need to go and have a look at this, or something like that. I don't know, but like, we should do they have to look it? at it? If VAR think, mate, that's definitely dodgy. He's literally ripped him on the like, put his arm around his neck. You've got to go and check that. Can he say no, or has he got to go? No, he's got to. I think he's got. Well, maybe, he's knows? got. He's obliged. I think if VAR pull it up and say, look, we think you might have missed something here, he's obliged to go in at the next available opportunity go and look at the screen and still make his own decision at that point. What conversation are they having? I feel like, so I was thinking about this the other day, actually at the game, you know, your mind, what your mind drifts off as mine does most of the time. My mm. brain lives in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, obviously I think as you or Liam made a really good point on a previous podcast about like, um, when you're a referee, you have to sort of say, you know, who you support as a kid. And if you've got family mm. members who support specific teams you know basically it's all very hush hush and you're make sure there's no bias right but surely mm. like some of these decisions you've got a question where where their heads at for them and think are they really that unbiased i don't because oh yeah they, i they, think they're really that biased yeah that's what i'm trying to say because it, it yeah. to me it just seems like i just don't buy off these decisions like some of them and just especially you know We've seen it in the last kind of like kind of 12, 18 months. Mm. Um, I just feel like there's like a bit in an agenda. And you've got a sort of query like what's going on behind the scenes. It just doesn't sit right with me. Maybe, like I said before, maybe it is, you know, uh, across the board. You know, I feel like if you spoke to most football fans it's in the Premier League, they'd be like, don't like referees. Um, but it's, it's just, like, it's a shame, isn't it? That I, like we've got, great, you know, incredible sport, great league. And, you know, we're just not getting the basics right. And, you know, Tony makes a great point there about, you know, rugby. Like, let's mic them up. I feel like in that way, we're miles behind. Just on the mic point, the fear comes back to the late 80s for this because it was experimented (laughs) once upon a time. Funnily enough, with Arsenal. Um, It was a game, Arsenal against Palace. And I don't know if you all remember David Ellery as a referee. He had this very much... High school, or high school, that sounds very American. Uh, secondary school, sort of head teacher. He, he, the way he spoke to players is like they were little children. Hilarious, right? Great ref, though, back in the day. Probably one of the most respected refs in the in the Premier League around that time. But um, they mic'd up him, 
for an Arsenal game against Palace and the swearing and the abuse that Tony Adams was throwing his way throughout the game yeah. was insane. But you, you can't live off something that happened that long ago. And I think that if you went out and put a directive out there in pre-season and you say, look, refs are going to be mic'd up this this season. If you dare... I mean, look, one of the greatest things I love about rugby is the respect that the referees get. Their word is final. You can't backchat the referee. If you do, you're off for 10 minutes. Best of luck with that. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, there's no questions to this, ever. Say that to the players. Look, this is a new rule. If you do this, and I, th- you know, maybe even bring in a sin bin for it, maybe. Yeah. Because right? yeah. I think, you know, bring in a sin bin. If you backchat a referee, you're off for 10 minutes. No questions. The referee's decision should be final. Whether we agree with it or not, it's really fucking frustrating. I get it. But if we want that transparency for us, not just for supporters, but I think even for players as well, I I can only think it would improve the game going forward. Because then again, another thing that I really love about watching rugby is the the way the the referee actually influences the, the, the gameplay itself. Advise they advise players of what stage they're at in certain areas. I know it's a very different, you know, it's a much more technical sport when it comes to to fouling and all that sort of stuff and and how to referee it. But if you could have that, you know, we've already spoken about what really frustrated us in this game. The referee didn't control the game, kept it very stop start. It was really frustrating. Whereas if there could be a bit more open dialogue between the two in a more respectful way, then I think it could only benefit the game moving forward for sure. Yeah, I mean, just to shout hands off, hands off to the players when he's got, you know, shirt tucks and he lets go yeah. game play on. Like, you know, a couple of shirt pulls here. Yes. He's like, he's just dragging and dragging. Hands off, hands off. I warned you, here's a yellow light. That's your fault. You didn't let go at the right time or whatever. Like, mm. um, yeah, all that sort of stuff, I think would be all, all of these great, great opinions. But I do, I do think, uh, I think the, 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 the quality is really poor. I don't know where that's come from. Um, I don't know why, but I, I do think the quality is poor. I don't think there's an agenda. I think there's, uh, like, I really don't. I just think there's uh, a a comfort that they can sit in knowing how much abuse they'll get from certain pundits. And for a while, it's been punching season at uh, Arsenal. Like, anyone's game for just having a laugh at Arsenal. We've had David Luiz, Granit Xhaka at his worst. How easy is it to give him a red? Yeah, why not? No one's going to complain about that. It's Granit Xhaka. It's David Luiz. Like, easy. How are you not bringing Mustafi into that array of players, by the way? (laughs) How are you not bringing in Mustafi? Exactly, exactly. All the it's it's like open season on us, right? And anyone's like, it's going. Oh God, no one's going to complain about this. It's the same old. Opinions have changed of Arsenal. It's taken a while, but um, including Granit Xhaka himself, who's had a bit of a turnaround, and he made some questionable tackles yesterday. And fortunately, only scored one very fair yellow card. I thought the card. I thought, but you know, like I think the media changes the opinion and um look i think we're getting slot not slightly off top of it, but i do think this people do get um reputations like burnley never had a red card in their complete and in, in their entire premier league career which is mental given the kind that of mental, in, but they are mental. they're known for physical team they're like oh it's just burnley come on get up to other players men- it, it makes no sense oh and i think what was the um there was a stat and it showed the amount of fouls per yellow and fouls per red compared to other teams it was so tiny um, no, it's anyway, minimal. Yeah, I don't. I, agree with you. I, I don't think there's any um, agenda because I think yeah, one of the things that I think frustrated a lot of us who is, and again, it's kind of funny because I said it'd be great if there was more transparency, but they came out and obviously released that you know 
findings from VAR of mistakes they've made already this season. Obviously, our goal against United was included in that. Look, leave that to the end of the season, lads. Don't tell us now. It's too fucking late. But if you were to at the time, yeah, let's replay the game. If you'd have done it at the time, it might have been different. But the quality thing that you say, Toby, is something I've I've spoken about with Steve a few times. And I just think we have the best league in the world. We have done for fucking years. We attract the best talent from the world when it comes to players. Why on earth can't we do the same for referees? Why can we not go and get the best officiators in world football to come and officiate in the Premier League? Yeah, why are they all English? Why does it have to be like that? I think there's one Australian guy. Uh, that was the guy this weekend, actually, I think, wasn't it? I think it was, funny yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, Never just an Australian. English only. <laughs> yeah. No, why can we not do that? You know, if, if we want to enhance our game further... That is surely an avenue we have to start looking at. In a multicultural you know, world that we live in, a multicultural league, you know, like we said, you know, the, the amount of nationalities that are represented in the Premier League is insane. Why can't we why can't we do that in, in the rest as well, with the rest? Just to round it off then, um, on, on that point. Like I I don't think there is an agenda. I just think it's I just think it's a shower shot. I feel like it's yeah. it, it, it feels to me like there needs to be sort of some new people coming into that organization and sort of ripping it apart and starting again and, and I think, looking at what is going wrong. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it. That I, I like the idea of adding like 15 minutes on every injury time, but from a, you know, a fan point of view, that's just, you're never going to get home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's got a flight to catch. Yeah, I'm fucked here, boys. I'll be spending a lot of money on overnight <laughs> hotels and rebooking flights. That's for sure. So yeah. Did you want to add anything there, Toby? No, I just, just, oh, what was I going to bloody say? I just laughed at that point and now I've lost my train of thought. But like, <laughs> um, I, oh yeah, I just want to say, like, I, I think this is uh, just to sort of reiterate for anyone listening and, you know, I think particularly at the end of somewhere, uh, podcast after we've dropped points, I don't want to sound like we're whining at the ref because there are so many yeah. other reasons in the referee why we didn't win this game. Um, mm. But I think this is consistent across the league. I think every fan base hates the refereeing at the moment. Um, I think we've also had it good at points this season. I think we've not good, but fortunate. Yeah, um, I agree. This is one of those times where it didn't quite go our way. We had a bad ref. Um, leads away uh, always springs to mind, sorry. It leads away. <laughs> oh, my God. Got yeah. away with murder. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want it to sound whiny because I think there were some really good aspects. Smash and grab. Smash and... Yeah, there you go. Um, Calvin, your brother's in a, a Newcastle fan, isn't he? Unfortunately. He is. F- it's Why funny you say that. No way. Well, there we go. Um, funny you it's say like, that, yeah. because It's like a bunch of pricks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, my brother was one of those fucking weird individuals um, who changed who he supported. And he was young enough when he did it. Um, my dad used to live up in Crewe many moons ago, and he had a lodger at the time. He was from Newcastle. He just kept banging on at me and my brother every time we went to see my dad. Like, Go on, just change, change, come and support Newcastle. Oh. This was, I think my brother would have been about nine at the time. And it would have 19, been like 19, you told me before. 19, yeah. No, it was basically the Kevin Keegan era. Or just before, or in and around that sort of period of time. Um, I never did. My brother did switch. Uh, but no, he did. I actually texted him on it and I said, you know, him living in Australia, he doesn't watch too many games, but this is one fixture, you know, he always keeps an eye on just obviously to try and probably wind up me and my dad more than anything. But I just texted him. I said, what did you make of the ball fest yesterday? Because, you know, it's, uh, there was lots to discuss, but I didn't find the game the most entertaining to watch, right? Because of the way it was officiated, the stop-start nature of it, it was really fucking annoying. He literally said, yeah, two teams that completely cancelled each other out. Probably a fair result in the end. That did neither team any favours. And I thought, yeah, that's fair. And then his next bit, 
pissed me off, to be honest with you. And this is how defensive I get about Arsenal. And I'm sure you guys will probably feel this. And he goes, however, what a there's always that. Always <laughs> Couldn't have just left it. <laughs> yeah. And it's a separate message as well. Do you know what I mean? So he goes, Ooh, however. He's, he's thought about that. He has, hasn't he? He's, he's gone in with it. It's three minutes later as well. So he's really thought about it. It's not like <laughs> an instant message. But he's gone, and what a classless wanker Arteta is. Bloke acts like a complete bellend sometimes. And I was just like, fuck you. Don't, don't come at so me. Fucking Arteta's a fucking legend, mate. And I can understand, right? Because of how, uh, I can't think of the word, but how um, pissed off I think Arteta was about that handball, which we've all, uh, you know, categorically you know, agreed that it wasn't a handball. Look, in the heat of the moment, I want my manager to be doing that. That's one of the things that used to frustrate the fuck out of us as a fan base in Wenger's latter years as an Arsenal manager. Is where was the passion? Where were you on the side? I want to see you, like Simeone, to a, de- a degree, influencing the game from the sideline. Because you can. Believe me, you can influence from the side. You can be in the fourth official's ear who has direct communication to the guy in the middle, not to us, as we've just been through. Um, but he can obviously influence the referee as well. Um, I can understand why it would piss other people off. In particular, Richard Keyes has major issues with Arteta, as we know. Um, for some reason, that technical area and Richard Keyes seem to be married, I think, at this point. He's obsessed, uh, isn't he? So it's weird. interesting, actually, because there's been a real sort of 50-50 split with this. There's a lot of people who are on the side of the fence saying, well, you know what? He's showing passion and we, we want that from a manager. But then mm. there's the other half saying... This is why Arsenal are going to crumble. You know, we don't see the likes of Pep Guardiola and Klopp. Yes, we do. Like, what what will you living in? Single, like, and, oh my god, it's so funny. I mean, Pep Guardiola even press, a water at the subs bench the other this day. Is, this is the press as well saying this. This is why Arsenal will crumble because their manager can't handle it. Like bollocks, behave. Like, to, anyway, my response just very quickly to that was just a picture of Richard Keys in his police hat. That was it. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah. Moving it's on, so incorrect, isn't it? I like, do have some, I do have some questions. On. Which and cool. one of the questions actually, I think, comes back to this anyway. Um, okay, throw so it. So I hit you with some questions. Um, we're going, we're going hard. M Five Images asks the most hated player in the league. That's a bit intense for a Thursday night. Who? The most who? hated player in the entire league. In the who league. Is... No, who? He's asking who. Um. I mean, it's probably Anthony. Surely he's got a face like an absolute. Is that the one who kicked a dog? <laughs> no. Oh no. Good point. <laughs> no, no, that's Kurt Zuma. Anthony's the one that signed for United as a winger. Oh yeah, yeah he's a Kent. I don't like. The, I don't like. I don't like the guy who kicks cats though. Well, Mason Greenwood yeah, technically is, is still a Man United player. Nah, we say. don't bring up bankers like that. No, nah, he's not. He's not a player. Um, they have to at least kick the ball in the Premier League this season. Um, if not ever again, Brick. Um, that is such a hard question, though, because there's quite a few people. Like Bruno Fernandes' face is the most punchable face you'll see in quite a, time, quite a while. Oh, yeah. Annoyingly, I think people's perception has changed of uh, Richarlison. I used to fucking hate that prick, but he did score yeah. a very good, very good goal in the World Cup. Fortunately, still gets scores first. Is he what? Is he still not surely? Still- no, he scored one off side. Oh no, did he score one? No, he's he's definitely scored for Spurs, hundred percent. In 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 the Premier League. Oh, now uh, Richarlison. I, I, I'm surprised neither of you said like Harry Kane. I... Oh mate, I, I think I think there's worse. Basically, I think he's an you know an absolute. I don't like Son. He's a fucker. He's a cheating fucker as well. 
It's the No, there is. You throw the French out there, cunt. I mean, you could use that when it comes to any Spurs player, to be yeah. perfectly honest with you. But no, Harry Kane, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't think of that myself, Steve. So, yeah, I... Yeah, actually, I'm going to put him to the top of the pile. Um, Any, anyone who plays for that lot. No, but him more so than the rest, because there's a there's a there's just a piece of Harry Kane, which he's always had about him, and it's the slice, it's the start, what is it, the dark arts of football. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that guy gets away with, not just from a footballing perspective, but just phew, so fucking dangerous. It, it mm-hmm. happened, I think I even, we spoke about this, Steve, after the World Cup, and I said it, there was a piece of me that, was obviously disappointed that he missed that penalty, but instantly at the same time, I was kind of like chuckling inside to myself because of the links to Spurs. There was a massive piece of me which didn't want to see him win the World Cup and become Sir Harry Kane. Absolutely fucking not. I just never want to see that. Mm. There was one point where somebody did to him what I have seen him do for years in the Premier League, and that's when he goes into a challenge or someone goes up for a header with him. He doesn't jump with them. He'll lean into them when they're Mm. in the air and completely off balance when they're midair. Which, looking, let's go back to rugby. I hate to do it so many times in this podcast, but you do that in rugby, you're off. Red card, gone. So, no so you're saying Kane to some yeah, point. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. He was getting celebrated today for scoring on the most days so in the Premier funny. League. Like, that's what we're celebrating because he's got nothing now to celebrate. Toby, out of a trophy, would you agree with that one? I'm going Harry Anthony. Kane? Still going Anthony. Anthony, fair yeah. play. I'm, I'm going to go Sun. Yeah, Actually, I don't particularly like any of them. I don't. I don't like any Newcastle players after Tuesday. To be honest, they can fuck off. Um, it changes weekly, don't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> if we're playing, if, if if Oxford beat us on Monday, there could be a few of them in the list. <laughs> um, here's a question from Michael underscore D eighty two, and this goes back to what we said earlier. So come back to you, Toby. It says, does Arteta losing his call on the touchline help or hinder the team or no effect at all? We're top of the league by eight points clear. He does it every week. Helps. Good answer. I like it. Short and precise. I just think like he's an emotional guy. Conte does it every week. And I think he's been successful previously. But for some reason, I don't know why I can't succeed at the club he's at currently. Um, I think Klopp, whenever there's a drop point, and that goes absolutely nuts. If anything, how many times have you seen Arteta go, we cannot talk about the referees because um, it was on us. It was up to us to do it. Like He takes... The responsibility so much more than I've ever seen a referee do it, uh, a manager do it. I think what's happened is basically the reason why the media have gone all in on it is because they've gone all in on how bad Arsenal are and are feeling quite embarrassed about how good they are. And it's a lot down to Arteta. And they're just looking for any, just throwing punches, mate. I'm, I'm mm. not really into it. Look, I think there was an element of maybe the team staying calm at a time where they needed to. And I think they did. I just think they couldn't quite find the finish and uh, whatever heated moment he's passionate I'd rather that just be sitting at the side like Eric Ten Hag so yeah that's fair Calvin would you agree with that yes yeah cool that's, it's, like that's, it. it's that simple yeah by the way that's just simple. back to Richarlison no goals in the Premier League yet this season there you go <laughs> uh, Mark Watkinson 46 asks uh, talk of a statue outside the Emirates of Wenger in 2023 statue or name a stand after him or why not both maybe I'd happily do both I'd go both as well. However, I would change it to be some sort of monument in the ground itself within the stadium that he's at, the stand he's actually named after. My only reason behind that is because, look, we can erect many statues around the ground. However, if we keep doing it, 
I mean, Jesus Christ, you're going to have like little army men just surrounding the Emirates. You know? <laughs> just, no, I think, yeah. Like Toy Story. No, I think yeah. it's good. You, know, you know the Gabriel Jesus um, picture where he comes in like, uh, you know, on top of the stadium when he signs and he's got his hands yeah. out like Christ the Redeemer. I think we should have Wenger as a statue like that, like he was at Old Trafford going like this. Like taking, the, taking the piss out of Tottenham's massive cock that they've got. On yeah, this. literally. <laughs> just have Wenger. You know, like he was at Old Trafford going like... like uh, yeah. I like I'd still it. love I my my actually if you had to do a statue of Arsene it would have to be um just the one of him more with his hands in the air after, yeah. The yeah one of after we'd won the league uh, in front of the away end yeah, just no. struggling with the zip <laughs> that'd be very good a hologram of that just yeah, you know, yeah. Just going, See, all the one where he couldn't find his pocket that was equally entertaining where he couldn't find a oh, pocket yeah. yeah that'd be a good one funny guy oh, smile I wonder what he kept in his pockets. Big huh. pockets in those case. Um, <laughs> Phil Carruthers, probably absolutely murdered that name. Uh, Rice to Arsenal. Now, this is I interesting, know. actually, because mm. my mate who I was at the game with the other day was telling me, he said, oh, he said, this bloke he's six sets to in club level. He's like, I know a guy. <laughs> he's got links with the clubs, and that's Arsenal's target this summer. And he, my mate was saying he doesn't really want him. And to be honest with you, I'll answer it first. Like, oh, I don't particularly rate Declan Rice that much. However, put them in an Arsenal team, you know, the likes of Odegaard, Partey, you don't know. What, what, what would you guys say about that one? I, I, take it. Much, yeah. I, I just worry how much it'll be. English tax. tax. Fuck yeah. Yeah, but if we're going to pay any more than 100, I mean, I mean, any more than 80, I think you're, it's a bit ridiculous. But I do think he's a class player coming into his prime. And I think yeah. people like him and I think he will, I think he'll add a lot of value to the squad. I think he'd be class. I, I completely agree. I, I think he would. One of the biggest things I, I've kind of said over the last year would be we need to start looking for the future Thomas Partey mm-hmm. or the replacement for Thomas Partey. Uh, and I think yeah. someone like Declan Rice fits the bill um, from what I've seen. Um, like you said, he's coming into his prime. You're going to have to pay for that. Whether he's coming from mainland Europe or coming from England, you're paying 100 mil for that player. And let's be realistic, we got Thomas Partey for an absolute steal because Atletico yeah, had uh, had a ridiculous buyout clause in there for fifty five, what fifty or fifty five million. I think it was, wasn't it forty five? I think it was quite cheap, wasn't it? It was yeah. that, yeah. yeah. So I think you look if you want someone who's going to be able to do what Thomas Partey does now, you're paying hundred million. Oh, easy, easy. If, if Anthony's hundred million, <laughs> you know that's I mean? just obscene, obscene money. No, the thing is, that's how Mudrick is being measured at the moment, which is by how much Anthony costs. And if you're uh, talking about cost versus value for a player, and you're measuring it at Anthony, Mudrick should probably cost about four hundred million because they spent hundred mm. million on Anthony. And he's absolutely. You look at Harry Maguire. How much they pay? Oh, how much they pay for him? But, so, one, one more question before we go, because um, yeah. I'm conscious of time. There's a lot of questions about Mudrick and and the chance of window. So this is one from uh, Jacob Lomas. What are your what are the best outcomes for the transfer window? Come to you first, Calvin. Yeah, I think as I said on the last pod, my big fear with the Mudrick deal is it feels very Eden Hazard for me. Unfortunately, I hope it doesn't end up the same way. But I think, yeah, I think getting him across the line, um, giving us some some options. You know, like we said, one of the biggest things we need off the back of this, I don't think we just need one player. I think we need maybe three, to be perfect. I would agree. And I'm not saying we need to bring in like elite top class players. 
We just need people that are going to beef up that bench a little bit to give us the options we need that might swing the games like Tuesday night in our favour. Um, because unfortunately, that's that might be what made us drop two points. It's just not having someone to mix it up off the bench. So Mudrick over the line for sure. Let's get that done and let's try and get it done as soon as possible. Whatever the fee is, pay it. It's just it is unfortunately. Look, as you said earlier, transfer fees are a weird one. You, it's hard to judge who's who's worth what or are they worth it? What kind of player are we actually getting here? You know, our record signing was a complete flop for us. And then you get Martin Odegaard for 35 million. Make it balances out, right? It does, yeah. It, I, I, it's hard to judge someone now purely on their, their value. I, I like to think, like, in terms of just, like, living in the moment, just, just go and do it. <clears throat> I, I don't want to be in a situation where we're looking at May going... Oh, you know what? If we'd have just bought an extra player in January, we could have done this mm. or done that. Mm. I don't want to be in a, in a situation where, like, what could have been. Um, Toby, what, what, what about you? Uh, we lost the, we lost the Champions League in January last season, right? We didn't bring anyone in, and you know Spurs did, and look what happened, right? Um, uh, I'd, look, I'd love Mudrick, I'd love Felix. I think two players up top um, would be really great going into it with the Millsmith both coming back and he's not around. Mm. Uh, but it all depends on price, and price dictates how you walk into a club. I'm going to read to you now, because it's some of the pricing that's going around, like 80 million, 100 million, and it's just mental, right? For a player who's only ever played 30 professional top-flight Ukrainian league games um, and played eight times for his country and not scored yet. So um, it, it's a very, very high price for a very inexperienced player who does look threatening and exciting and would be great to have. But I'm just going to read you um, the top... Is this 10 or so um, transfers in the Premier League? I think you could only... Well, I'll ask you how many think have been a success. So 105 million for Jack Grealish, 101 million for Lukaku from Chelsea, uh, to Chelsea, uh, Paul Pogba um, to United, Harry Maguire to United, Sancho to United, Lukaku to Man United, Van Dijk to Liverpool, which I think was a huge success. Havert, That's the only success so far. The only success, Pepe and Havert. Kepa. And so those are your top 10. Out of all of those, and if Modric was to sign at the price that's being quoted, he would come in at fourth on that list. Fuck. How many of those successes? One. One. If you're going fewer success, it's one. And if I was to say that, you know, let's say they all cost 30 million, you'd probably say most of them were pretty successful, or at least you mm. completely changes the way you think about it. Yeah, of course it does. Like, of course it does. Do you know what I mean? And I think if we've got Modric coming in, we are looking at a completely different player. And mm. um, I'm just not sure. I mean, it's I don't always, know. It's just always the risk, though, isn't it? I think we're trying to, as you, if you're going to spend big, I mean, look, we did it, right? We pulled a trigger on Pepe and we were fucking hella excited about it when it happened. But again, I think if you would have come in at 30 mil, would he still be here? Would the expectations be a lot lower? Less pressure on him? Maybe. Blah, blah, blah. Who knows, right? But no, I agree. I think, you know, the price tag always changes how you perceive a certain player. But for me, yeah, I don't want to be spending 100 million on, on Mudrick. I really no. don't. Because no. like you, you look at the league he is in, like you just said, he hasn't even scored a goal for Ukraine yet. No. Hasn't. Yeah. Um, look, last player, but prices, man. This is maybe I'd like to think they've got uh, yeah, plan B, C, D, E. Smith Rose, look back in training as well. That's a massive boost. No. Um, but listen, we've got to go into the market. I, I, I'm not going to talk about this guy in terms, like I know him in terms of like you know what he can bring. Like 
about a month ago, I'd never heard his name before, if I'm honest. And yeah, this mm. this is this is modern football. This is social media. You know the hype. Um, but we shall see. Um, mm. Anything else you guys want to add? Or no, we'll oh, call it. I think we've, I think I think we've done it. Yeah, I think it's probably a good time to wrap it up. So, as always, thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you do enjoy the show, please do leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. We'll be back after the FA Cup game against the mighty Oxford. Um, But until then, look after yourselves, look after each other, and catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.